0: Hello and welcome to the Produce Retail Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Nickel, and today we've got a bit of a different format, a multi-segment episode here for you. So first up, I'm going to talk about a few products that were featured at the International Fresh Produce Association's big show back in October. After that, we're going to have a discussion with two longtime directors of produce who are now with IFPA after 30 plus year careers in retail, Joe Watson, formerly of Rouse's Markets and Anthony Barbieri, formerly of Acme Markets. And that will be a really fun conversation with two colleagues and friends um, who really speak to the importance of engagement and relationships for success in the produce industry. So starting with those new products, I was checking out the online Fresh Ideas Showcase, and I asked a few of the featured grower shippers if they'd mind sending me some samples of their new products. And there are all kinds of cool items in the showcase, But the category that really interested me the most was the value-added vegetable products. I personally see huge appeal for these because they show you how to prepare veggies in creative, really tasty ways. And obviously, there are a million recipes on Google. You can find that information out there. But one of the areas that I see is a huge opportunity for brands and for retailers even more so is to be that content curator for customers and offering unique items that make vegetables easy and really flavorful, I believe is a great way to do that. So I'll give a quick rundown of some of the items in the showcase that I believe fit that bill. And I'll start with a more thorough explanation of two new product lines in particular, WP Rawl, And Del Monte very generously sent over samples of their products. So first of all, I want to thank them for the chance to experience these for myself. And I'm going to start with a few words about those items. So W.P. Rawls sent over its Simple Sauté's lineup. And Del Monte shared its air fryer veggie kits. So we'll talk about W.P. Rawls' Simple Sauté's first. These come in several different flavors. They've got Italian herb and Rotini collard greens sweet and tangy collard greens, and Moroccan-style collard greens. Now, personally, I grew up in the Midwest, so I did not have a ton of previous exposure to collard greens. My hubby's friend from the South actually made them for us once, and that was my introduction. What I really enjoyed about these kits was how they kind of opened the door to what you can do with this product, especially for folks who, like myself, didn't necessarily grow up with that on the regular rotation of meals. Um, With the Italian option here, for instance, you can get ideas about the different seasonings that go well um, and the opportunity to make the dish a little heartier by adding some pasta and and cooking it at the same time as the greens. Something to remember in general, I think it's easy for folks within this industry uh, because so many are produce aficionados who can tell you just incredible ways to prepare every produce item off the top of their head. It's easy to forget that so many consumers really would welcome suggestions from experts on how to make these products really shine. And again, the retailer is in a great position to be that resource because particularly when they're the primary store, there's already a relationship. There's already trust built there with the shopper. So anyway, back to these simple sautés. The packaging has a window where you see the greens. It's got a recipe image on the front, also visuals of the ingredients that will be adding the flavor. And it calls out that the dish will be ready in 15 minutes. That's the other component of this category that I didn't mention earlier, and that's speed. Even in my household now, in recipes, we need simplicity and we need speed. This is three kids, we're about to have twins, but this is even now with just two of us in the household. And I think that's probably important to remember as well. Family dynamics in this country have changed significantly. There aren't nearly as many households with children under 18 as there once were, but busy lifestyles are pretty universal. Now the next lineup I want to highlight is the air fryer veggie kits from Del Monte. We've actually got an episode coming up where I visit with a culinary expert about formulating flavor profiles for products. And the names of the varieties in Del Monte's Air Fryer Veggie Kits lineup make me think of the best practices that this expert covered as far as painting a picture with the words you use to describe the product. So the options in this collection are cauliflower with parmesan peppercorn, broccoli with lemon herb, and green beans with charred onion and bacon. Doesn't that just sound good? I thought they all just sounded really good. I also thought it was brilliant to have products designed and marketed specifically for use in the air fryer. Obviously that's an appliance that recently has made huge strides in popularity. And for me, it is so powerful to make the connection not only with an appliance that's relevant, that is familiar now to many consumers, but it's also an appliance that's associated with preparing foods in a way that delivers really fantastic flavor and texture. And again the inspiration here on how to use different flavors to enhance the vegetables to me that's so valuable to provide to shoppers whether you're the brand or you're the retailer so again a huge thank you to WP Rawl and Del Monte for sending those samples to me I just love seeing continuing innovation from grower shippers that makes it easier for consumers to eat more vegetables And I do want to mention a few more value-added veg items that caught my eye in that showcase. There were sheet pan meal starter kits from Dole, several different mushroom products, including the sliced mushroom kits with sauce and spice packets from Monterey, and separately the Highline simple side saute kits. There were easy pan veggies roasting kits from Braga Fresh and quick fire shishito pepper kits from Frida's. And obviously all kinds of salad kits and snacking vegetables, some that had dips included, and many, many other very neat products beyond the category of value-added vegetables as well. I will include the link to that online showcase in the episode notes so that you can check it out. Again, to me, it's just, it's awesome to see all these cool things that just provide a different elevated experience for produce. I think people are looking for that. I think people are looking for inspiration on how to get more fruits and vegetables in a little bit different spin on kind of the traditional items they've had um so that's always a fun one to explore to me is is the new things that are out there with that we'll transition over to the conversation with joe watson and anthony barbieri they discuss their friendship over the years adjusting from retail life to association life how they got involved in volunteer leadership during their retail careers ways that IFPA can offer values for retailers who engage with the association, reflections from their decades in retail and the importance of building positive cultures, and much more. Here's that chat with Joe and Anthony. I'm delighted to be joined today by two folks who I'm sure will be familiar to many of our listeners, Joe Watson and Anthony Barbieri, both with the International Fresh Produce Association. Joe is the Vice President of Retail Food Service and Wholesale, And Anthony is the Vice President of Member Engagement and Business Development. And both of them came to IFPA following 30-year-plus careers in retail. Joe with Rouse's Markets, Anthony with Acme Markets, both longtime directors of produce. And what spurred our conversation today was actually a very heartfelt LinkedIn post by Joe about Anthony on the impact um, that he's had on him as a colleague and friend. And Joe mentioned that, you know, we often talk about the importance of great relationships between retailers and their suppliers. Maybe we don't talk enough about the importance of building those partnerships with people in our own organizations. So that's where we're kind of going to start today. Gentlemen, thank you so much for taking the time and welcome to the podcast. Well, thank (laughs) you. So (laughs) a little background. When did you two first meet? Joe, you alluded to this in your LinkedIn post, so I'll let you start there.
1: Yeah, um, I knew of Anthony, uh, you know, because Anthony joined PMA, I think it was in 2010 after he left um, uh, Acme. Um, and I knew of Anthony from that time, you know, being an active volunteer in the industry um, uh, while I was still at Rouse's. I knew of Anthony, but we never actually met. I, I think I remember shaking hands with him in the corridor of one year at Fresh Summit, kind of like a, just as a hello, but that was it. But I knew his face. Uh, so we really actually met for the first time when I went up for an interview to Newark, Delaware, and um, that would have been May of 2015. That was the first time we actually actually met and spent time together. Um, so yeah, so it was right, you know. And from there, um, you know, the story continues. But uh, it was uh, it was something that uh, we we hit it off right away, and you know, I think it's our background. Uh, coming from retail, our, our shared experiences. Um, my, certainly my passion for wanting to continue in the industry and certainly the passion he had then and certainly has to this day. Um, and it just really gelled. So yeah, so we met, like I said, uh, I was still at Rouse's and uh, I was interviewing with PMA. And uh, that's when I met Anthony face to face.
2: No, Joe, I would would concur from that, you know, mutual uh, respect from afar. But I'd be remiss if I didn't say how humbled I was by the way you wrote that article. And it's heartfelt. It comes back at me from me to you. uh, I feel exactly the same way about you. And we just uh, thrive off of each other. But, Joe, thank you for that. That was he set me up. I didn't even know it was happening. (laughs) And the next thing you know, my LinkedIn was blowing up with all (laughs) the comments and thumbs up. So, Joe... Terrific. It was a, it was ironic. I and mean, when you look about the journey is uh, I felt like Gumby at PMA and I was getting pulled in a lot of different directions. And I I went to uh, a gentleman by the name, our COO, his name was Tony Parasso. I said, I, I need some reinforcements here. I said, I need, I need somebody to help me because I'm being stretched thin. Right. So it was resource intensive. Um, a lot of different projects we were working on. And uh, ironically, we we had interviewed a couple people and some things fell apart and as fate would have it the elongated period of time allowed us to capture capture joe i mean we went through an executive recruiter joe had the interest i looked at the doggone resume once i knew what i wanted to do right away so it was uh that that interview process joe was a formality indeed right
1: (laughs) well i tell you what it felt like a real interview whatever it was uh Mr. Mr. Tony, as you call him, Mr. Perezio, or you call him Tony Perezio, I'll call him Mr. Tony. Uh, he was stoic and very serious, and certainly Anthony was too, but there was certainly a connection between me and Anthony from the moment we met. And I'm just so thankful and grateful that uh, we had the opportunity to connect and that I had the opportunity to make that move. Um, and besides you know, continuing in my mission to stay involved in this industry, on a greater level, meeting great people like Anthony, that helped not just get me to where I I need to be, but to push. And you know, across my career, and I think Anthony can say the same thing, we were fortunate to have people who pushed us, that saw something in us that we might not even realize about ourselves because we're so hard on ourselves. So you see you constantly are critical of of your own ability to do something, but while others are seeing something greater and, and pull that out of you. And that's what I appreciate about Anthony.
2: I think, uh, you know, when I reflect on it, it's, um, it's important to surround yourself with good people and the ability to build that trust over time. And I think we were talking about trust being very powerful as it relates to creating a positive culture, right? And it's, mm-hmm. you know, you empower people that you work with to execute at a high level and, and work together for a common goal and you share successes with each other. I think when you started, you know, the the conversation you talked about relationships and In our industry, be it purchase and floral, we still hug and all that stuff. We are so relationship driven and they, how do you extrapolate that relationships that we build with the trade as we do uh, internally with each other as, as, as co-workers can be very powerful. And I will say that Joe and I spoke the same doggone language right off the get go. And it's uh, when, you know, when you have a goal and you have a vision in terms of how you're going to execute against, say, something in business. If you get people who are aligned with your thought process, boy, doesn't it make it so much easier to accomplish, but it doesn't happen automatically. You have to build that trust where people you feed off of each other and, and feel that they are, you know, empowered. And, and you know what? When Joe came, we just we we laid out the plan and we talked about what we needed to improve as it related to the to the trade at, back then at, at PMA and, and everything that we were endeavoring against. And Joe just took the ball and ran with it. Boy, did he make my job so much
1: easier. Thank you. Jimmy. <laughs> well, thank you, Anthony. You're <laughs> very nice for you to say. But, you know, Ashley, and I, I know you probably got other questions, but uh, I think the thing what Anthony was just saying was, you know, after all those years in retail, we brought all those experiences with us um, into the association world. And Anthony had, you know, a few years on me, obviously, from that respect. And I remember walking in the door and his office was in the front of the building in Newark and my office was in the back. So we actually it was purposeful to get into each other's office. And, you know, I was reporting to Anthony uh, for the first few years I was with PMA. And I remember walking to his office saying, boss, I don't have enough to do. I don't know. What all I need to do here? And he kept saying, your plate's going to get full eventually. It was just, it was different. It was just different. You know, in retail, it's 24-7, 100 miles an hour constantly. And In the association world, it's it's a slower, and I don't mean slow, it's just a slower, more deliberate build because you've got events you're building up to and you finish that and you go to the next and other programming you're working on. So I had to adapt and adopt uh to that that way of a workflow, if you will. And Anthony really talked me down a lot when I first got there. Uh we had some we had some really uh good interaction and good meetings uh that helped me build that muscle, if you will. You're making um, me laugh you, me that. That. You, know what?
2: you make you're making <laughs> me laugh because there's a lot more process, say than like let's do it yesterday, which was a uh, the mentality mm-hmm. of retail, well why didn't we already do that? And so the ability to It'll come, buddy. It's going to come. But (laughs) we have to we have to go through this process first. It's not, you know, so the and and when I when I first came to PMA, that was a big learning for me. And and I had it was kind of more self-taught for me. So (laughs) the ability to to share that experience with Joe. And then then like fast forward six months later, Joe said, you weren't kidding.
1: Like (laughs) That's exactly right. I I remember having that conversation. It finally, it finally filled up, Ashley. The plate finally got full (laughs) and it hasn't emptied yet. I'm not surprised
0: knowing you, Joe. I'm not surprised.
1: (laughs) Uh, It's been fun though.
0: (laughs) That's excellent. So as, as you both think back, having had this experience with the association now over the last decade or so, not quite for you, Joe, and a little bit more than that for you, Anthony, what, What would you take back if you were to, you know, advise someone in, in leadership and produce retail now about some of those things that, you know, you typically, you never felt like you had time for the process, the building, you know, some of those intentional things that I'm sure very easy to get lost in the 24 seven world of, you know, being a director of produce, a VP of produce. Mm
1: -hmm. You know, Ashley, Anthony, if you don't mind, if I go first, I've said this many times, I've even recollected this with some of my old team from Rouse's because I stay in touch with some of them. What I didn't take the time to do is appreciate all that we accomplished when we were accomplishing it, because we were constantly, as you just stated, go, go, go all the time. There's no time to think about what you just accomplished. We've just got to accomplish the next goal. And in the midst of all that, things get lost. And it's the opportunity to appreciate each other, build each other up, to thank each other, and to, and to, to motivate and inspire each other. Um, that was a big miss. And I, if, I wouldn't say regret, but I would say that I, I'm disappointed that I missed that opportunity to do that. On a regular basis, uh, stepping back from it, I realize it. And I have even found myself telling the guys, man, I'm so sorry that we never took the time to do that uh, because they needed it because they were well
2: worth it. I think that kinetic pace very well said, Joe. I think, you know, when I I think about some of our visits to retailers um, where you and I had actually went, mm-hmm. went to talk, so you, actually, you, you frame it up retailers are, you know, it's all numbers oriented. What are you did, doing for me tomorrow, not yesterday? I think it's it, anybody will tell you that. And they're under a lot of pressure, but I think one of the biggest enjoyments I've had in the association tenure is traveling to visit retailers with mm. Joe, where we can actually get them to slow down a little bit and kind of listen to us a little bit because we, you know, we can speak their language. We have a great appreciation for what they're doing. And I think the, the, the aha for us, Joe and, and and please share is when they stop and they and they think about how they can engage with the association at a at a deeper level across their themselves individually as well as their teams because of what quote the association does. And I'll and I'll say what whether that was United Fresh or it was PMA, what IFPA does for the industry, things that they take for granted, i.e. food safety or advocacy work and things like that. So when you sit down in your front of them. And you say, who's going to do that? And who's going to do that? When you have a problem, who are you going to call? Boy, it causes a lot of pause. And they say, you know what? You got it. You got me on that. And so, like, those were the kind of wins that we could say, give us a little bit of your time because we're there Mm -hmm. when you're going to need us. And, oh, by the way, the people who financially support the industry want you to give of your time a little bit. And that's your way to give back. So Joe and I crafted quote the the give back strategy. I give back strategy. And and you know we we would we would laugh and cry on on some things, but that boy, you want to talk about fulfillment when you actually got in front of the buying community to have them understand what the association world was doing for them that maybe they took for granted. That was that was a big win,
1: wouldn't you say, Joe? Uh, well, I do. And Anthony, you said that very well. And you know because we both came from retail. Uh, The head was always down. And when you looked at your calendar each year, you said, okay, I'm going here, I'm going there. And then you ran out of time because you didn't have that much time to to get out of your stores, out of your office and so forth. And so we have that knowledge of what, from the association side now, what we've learned and what the retail community can gain by being engaged with the association. Um, And as Anthony just stated, it's a matter of getting them to pick up their head a little bit And say, this is how we can help you. But we need to understand what your needs are. And let's have that open dialogue. And we don't want to know all their trade secrets. We don't want to know all their company secrets. But every retailer has a challenge. And there's going to be synergies around what their challenge is and what we can help them with from an expertise standpoint. And that's what we hope to do. And Anthony, I don't think you said it, but what did we hear so many times? I didn't know you did that. I didn't know you did that. And we heard that over and over and over, and it's like we're scratching our head too about how can we make sure that this is not a secret of what we do as an association. And, you know, PMA did. You know, we worked hard at PMA to, to create that. I know United did. Now as IFPA, we're doing it again. We've got to, we're recreating that all over again and creating that awareness. And but I'll be, I, it's 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 lot. It's lots of fun. It's a lot of work, but it's a lots of fun as well.
2: You know, to flip it at Joe it was like we had to power the PO, mm. right? And I think many times we heard from because now it's flipped. All right, we flipped it. We're we're back pitching the other way, so we're going and pitching. No, yep. and and so from the say the grover shipper community they say, well, you never bought from me, but at least you told me why you didn't. So we still like you, like you know. Right. So to your to your point, Joe, I think you mentioned early on about those relationships over time Mm -hmm. with the industry at large you know you represent yourself when you're out there your own personal brand as well as representing who you work for Mm -hmm. and so like always remember that because you never know when it's going to come back and bite you and so anybody that's listening to this be you know have the integrity be there in the right way absolutely
0: well, and Joe, you mentioned that uh, as you guys have done these visits, you heard a lot of, Oh, I didn't, I didn't know that you did that. Well, what were some of the uh, the things that that triggered that response most, if you recall?
1: Well, you know, I can speak from the PMA side because, you know, I was with PMA for those years. Uh, we were a product of our, own, of our own success, meaning Fresh Summit or the PMA, as so many people affectionately call it. And so when people thought of PMA, they thought of the convention and and so that's how we were measured. If they had a good experience at First Summit, then they enjoyed being part of PMA. But what they didn't understand is all the work we were doing around sustainability and supply chain and technology later on, and certainly from a domain creation standpoint and talent development with you know the former CGT and so forth. All these things, all this programming, all this expertise that we brought to the table, um, that in retailers and many retailers did not take the time to understand or realize it was even available to them. And in many cases, like some of the talent programs we have, I'll call them scholarships because we have the ability to bring retailers into some of the talent program or had to under the OPMa uh, uh, umbrella uh, to do that. And we're doing some of the same things now with IAPA with some of the talent programming. And and many retailers don't even realize that ability is there to be involved and engaged in that. And so this is our charge to make sure that we're getting the message out uh, to the retail community, uh, but not just the retail community, all, all member segments, but we're talking about retail specifically right now, because there's the, the buyer group that we're really focused on. And certainly in my area um, to make sure they understand what's available to them as being members of IFPA to bring value back to their business. And that's the other thing, Anthony, I think you mentioned, um, because if I'm a director of VP of Produce, I've still probably got to get some buy-in from the leadership to go to an event, to maybe buy a plane ticket, to get a hotel room that's going to be off their budget if they don't have someone, you know, um, one of their, another arrangement, put it that way. And so if they don't understand how to sell that and the value to that, to their leadership, uh, it's going to be, it's going to be a tough sell. So that's where we as an association need to help them sell that message and then you know what, Ashley, get the leadership engaged. We need the CEO, we need the C-suite up from the retail being involved in the association as well. They bring a great message that the supply side wants to hear. And when the grower shippers are in the room, man, there are all ears and buyers are up there and their voice is being heard. And we need more of that. We really do. And we're working and, and, and um, working against that that uh, that um, you know that work.
2: You know, Joe, that talent, you know, reminded me whether you're in retail or whether you're a family-owned company and we have many family-owned companies in our industry, right? A lot of times HR programs, human resource programs are not in the budget or they're cut. Mm -hmm. And so like when you're engaging the retail community and you're talking about potential scholarships and I said, what? You have scholarships to help, you know, develop ladies or diversity and things that unknown, unknown, right? Because they're so busy. And then You know, when you're talking to the supply side, you get family owned businesses and they may not have a full blown or an HR program at all. And you're saying some of the tools that are available. So the more things change, the more they say the same. That's very much in play because, you know, we still are challenged every day to have folks consider uh, the produce and floral industries as a career. But that is a prime example of of some of the things that say an association does. We at IFPA do you know, do for the for the industry at large that you have to get them to pick their head up to understand that it's good for them and their people because we we need new blood and we need new ideas and we need innovative thinking in all of our companies so that it enables us to grow.
0: How did you both get involved in, in volunteering in the industry when when you were still at at retail? What, what motivated you to, to fit that into the crazy schedule?
1: Well, I'll, I'll jump in first. Uh, Ashley. I became a director in 1993, and I was all of 29 years old. Wow. Um, and by that time, I had already been an, in merchandising um, and buying for 10 years before that. And I had this desire to be involved as a volunteer. And I was fortunate to have a company who valued that and uh, getting out there and bringing back um, uh, things to our company to help build our company internally, build our brand uh, in the, in the, in the, from, the, from the vendor community as well. And so I had my first opportunity uh, to volunteer uh, soon after I became a, a, a director, and, and like I said, in 1993. And um, I just continued in that and, and across multiple associations, from PMA to United to FMI to SEPC, um, I, and, and some other work I did too as well. Um, I just dove in and again, was fortunate to have a company that supported that and understood that it was bringing value back to our business. And that's, an, that is something we continually speak up to our, or speak of to our, our retail members. Uh, that's a wonderful way for them to give back and to build their brand your company brand, personal brand as well, um, by being a, a volunteer and bringing your expertise to the table on topics that are important to you themselves and to the industry?
2: I kind of fell into it by accident, actually. So, I, Joe, I don't know if I ever told you this story. So this is one you you might appreciate. Um, every Occasionally when I was with Acme, I'd go out to a vendor dinner, uh, to a nice restaurant in, in the appreciation. It was one of the perks you got. And so I was in an Italian restaurant in uh, in Wilmington, Delaware. I'll never forget. It was uh, Tuscana. And back in the days with the Oppenheimer folks who had an office in Wilmington, Delaware. So we were having dinner because I'm I'm a Delaware born, Wilmington born and so forth. not too far from my my home versus, say, in Philadelphia. So I wanted to get work my way back home. So we're in this restaurant. We're having a nice dinner. And I look over to the left of the room and there's sitting Brian Silverman in there, who's the CEO of PMA. So, I'm kind of chuckling. I said, let me go up. I never really met Brian, but I remember his, you know, being at the convention and so forth. And I walked up, Brian, name's Anthony Barberian with Acme Markets. You know, thanks for all you do, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, he lit up like a Christmas tree because I'm a retailer coming over and saying hello to him. Well, make a long story short, like, you know, two months later, I get a call. Hey, we're, you know, the, the, Fresh Summit convention was the nine post 9 convention in 2001 was in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Says, We're having a retail tour. Would you like to have one of your stores on the retail tour? I said, sure, absolutely. But one thing led to another. We did the retail tour and, and, and it was on th- those days. I think it was like a Tuesday because Fresh Summit ended on a Monday we went all out. You know how we did. We were like Ringling Brothers. You know, We had the greatest show on earth and the ballot right. me. Next thing you know, can you do this? Can you do that? Became on the retail committee, became the retail chair, became on the, the PMA board of directors. I actually had to buy, retire from the PMA board of directors because PMA hired me. I get my joke was I did such a good job of volunteering that they hired me, but that was really by chance. And one thing led to another. And it's, it's, it's not uncommon in any um, volunteer work with anyone. It's how you participate that allows you, you know, the good people get more work to do, whether it's in business or in the association world or, or it's a council world or whatever that may be. So it's just like you devote yourself to something because you believe in the cause and then things happen organically.
0: And mm-hmm. what does the commitment look like for, because I, I know the the organization, of course, has as committees in all kinds of different segments, the industry, the, the retail council is one of those, of course. Mm-hmm. What does it look like for someone to participate in that? What, what's kind of the time commitment? What kind of topics are they expected to be willing to discuss? What, what shape does that take?
1: Yeah. So uh, I'm the liaison for the uh, retail council, as you mentioned, and, as well as the food service council. And there's another council and in, in food service area that uh, represents the supply side. But on the retail uh, council, uh, the time commitment is uh, split between virtual and in-person. And so each year we have two in-person events, um, the retail conference, which is in June, and then at the global show in October. And then we have two virtual uh, meetings as well that will, you know, be alternate of those in-person meetings. The, in the amount of time, obviously the in-person is more time because it uh, for the retail conference, it's probably three days. For the global show, it's at least four days. Um, uh, you know, the convention and the meeting combined as well. Uh, and then of course the virtual meetings, it's a matter of you know, a two-hour meeting um yeah, over a Zoom call kind of thing. What we're focused on is going to be dependent on what our is coming out of our business plan and what our strategy is, and what each what's important to each segment, and there's a lot of crossover, if you will. When you think about What's going on in food safety? You think about FSMA 204, you think about CEAs, a lot of interest in that area with the retail council in those two areas. So we're working on some things in those spaces that brings value back to the retail community that they're speaking for other retail members. And what we're hoping to do, and, and I will add this too, uh, currently our retail council is made up of U.S. and Canada retailers, Canadian retailers, but we would love to have some global presence in, in our retail council and we're really looking forward to adding um, um a couple it, where it makes sense uh, of, of global retailers uh, to join the council i know when you think about doing virtual meetings it's tough because of time uh, zones and so forth especially if you get on the other side of the world uh but that shouldn't stop us from trying to do that so if we're a global association, which we are, we need to have global representation on our retail uh, council because I think that the, 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 again, there's global discussions we need to be having. And I think a, a retailer from other, another continent uh, would certainly add a far different perspective than what we have here uh, in North America. So we're looking forward to doing that as we go forward, uh, Ashley.
0: And I'm curious for for each of you before before I've well now IFPA then PMA <laughs> uh, was on your your radar as the the next chapter for your career. When you were in that director of produce seat and you're making the decision on how to spend your time, what what was the ROI in your brain for being engaged in in industry volunteering and, and speaking with folks from other organizations? And, you know, taking the time away from the day-to-day to really kind of invest in that that long-term vision and, and that participation. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, Anthony, I know you have a story and you may tell it, but I'm going to tell mine real quick. Um, as I said, Ashley, I became a volunteer in the industry early in my director career, if you'll say it like that, mid-90s. I was already actively involved. But what I will tell you a story real quick, um, I'm walking to one of my stores um, one day and I walked by the iceberg lettuce. Now this is, when I say iceberg lettuce, we sold iceberg lettuce back in the mid nineties, not like we do today, because even though packaged salads had already come into the the department by that time, they were still early, just a few years in. So packaged salads as a category weren't then what they are now. So in our stores, we had big spreads of iceberg lettuce, Uh, you know, a, a big store, you know, a big huge spread. And I walked up to the iceberg lettuce display, and we had five different labels of iceberg lettuce on the display at one time. And actually, it hit me like a ton of bricks. I realized right then, I said, we have got to improve upon our sourcing, our relationships with the vendors, and get consistency in what we're selling in our stores. And so it became Important and critically and and critical and strategic for us to get involved so we can make connections with the supply side. So while we were bringing value back to our business, being involved in, in volunteer groups and being involved in those discussions, we were also making connections. And long before we had the ability to buy our own product and cut our own POs. We were already making those connections with grower shippers and going out to the West Coast and going to Washington and California and other places and setting the, you know, setting and, and building those, um, you know, building that uh, foundation uh, for what was to come for our business. And then, you know, over the next 20 plus years, um, you know, developing upon that and building and getting really tight on uh, what we what we what our specs were, what our relationships were and who we did business with. You know, and I'm proud to say when I left Rouse's, we had some relationships that were 25 years plus uh that we had, uh, that we did business with. And um, it helped our business, certainly hope it helped their business. And, um, you know, I I, I wouldn't trade that for anything. Anthony.
2: Yeah, I, I think about, you know, you know what you know in your own space, right? So as, yeah. as a retailer, you know what you know, and you, you're talking about what do you get out of it? I think knowledge is so powerful. And when you engage across different segments of the business, uh, as a volunteer, you learn so much more about other things. What maybe potentially keeps them up at night. They learn from you. So it's, it's a very powerful organic process. I know, oh, by the way, what happens is relationships are built. Here we go back with the relationship <laughs> business again. And, uh, over time there there's an ROI that comes back to the banner because you're able to leverage those relationships for the needs of your business. And so it's a collaborative opportunity to work with the trade on solutions that you need. And so, yeah, there's old war stories. I could tell that the old president of Acme wanted to know where I was one day, you know, Jay Schneider was my assistant He president walked down and he said, where the hell is Anthony at? So it's an old whippersnapper guy. He says, uh, with some problem in a store, Jay put the fire out. I was at a volunteer meeting with PMA, and every Monday we used to have to go sit at the Knights of the Round Table in the president's office and we used to have to go over our PL. And so everybody would have to talk about sales and what they did and so forth. And so everybody went around the room, the whole, everybody's sales were down. And I, I'm not making this up. And the president said, Okay, genius, talking to me. He says, You're the only one whose sales were up. What the hell did you do? Right. <laughs> And I looked at him, and I, you know, I said, "Well, remember that couple three months ago when you were looking for me, and I was at that PMA meeting?" And he said, "Yeah." And I said, "Well, it leveraged <laughs> a relationship, and now that you're seeing it put into action." And he went like that, right? So it even gets better. Fast forward another three months, he walks in my office, and he says, "When the hell's that next PMA meeting? We need some sales." <laughs> I never had a
1: problem going anywhere after that. True story. And That's a great a, story, too. Yeah.
0: <laughs> That's a great example. What What are some other things that, that jump to your all's minds when you think about? Because I, I know for me, I can trace back, you know, relationships and people I've learned from and opportunities that have come out of, you know, specific conversations at this meeting or that meeting or the follow up to this meeting or that meeting. What are a few of those that, that stick in your guys' minds just from over the years?
1: Oh, man. Anthony, you want to jump on that one?
0: I think
2: I learned so much about traceability. And that train was coming down the tracks then. Obviously, it got it got paused, but the ability to come back from those discussions and talk about it in a broader perspective, you know, with the warehousing folks who, you know, they're in their world with warehousing. And, you know, if this comes, this, you know, what's our capabilities? Also, as a as a retail banner of quote, a, you know, Albertson, say back in the day, being able to message that to corporate. And say, hey, you know, we better get our our high priest involved here because it's going to affect everybody. So the ability to carry, say, messages against different subject matter areas that had a broad impact to the business was something, say, beyond, you know, selling this and selling that
1: was a big win. Uh, You know, Anthony, that's a I did, too. I learned a lot in that space. But one thing that really um, impacted our business. Was, you know, we were, we were for the longest time, we were just a small local group of stores. I mean, as, as, as early as, or as late as 1996, um, we were just a group of 15 stores, not the 80 plus store behemoth they are today and soon to be 100 stores. Um, so our brand was very, very regionalized. Um, and we were very local and we prided ourselves on that. But I wanted to get out. You know, we obviously we had to, we sold more than local product. But I, what I I wanted to do is be able to to tell the story of the farmers from afar, if you will. Those companies, those growers, those families who grew product that we sold in our stores, and make that connection between uh, them and our customer because they see the product on the shelf. And it's just, you know, it's a tomato on the shelf, it's an apple on the shelf. They don't know the story behind it. You know, if they see a satsuma in, sep- in September, they know it's from Louisiana farmers. Uh, and they might even know the farmer it's from. So I wanted to take that idea and spread that across our department and make it an entire strategy. And so, you know, by getting out and being a volunteer and getting out amongst um, the, the growing community and kicking the dirt, as they say, and attending events gave us that ability to do that. And over the course of a number of years, um, we were able to help bridge that gap and help consumers understand who grew this product. And in many cases, we brought farmers in from other states to do appearances in the stores. And not that we're the only retailers ever did that, but for us, it was new and exciting. Uh, And it actually helped really build that loyalty, that trust, with the with the customer uh, back to us and then ultimately with with the farmer and you know they just light up because they do this this, they're the salt of the earth and they do this because they love it Uh, obviously they want to make money but they do it because they love it it's in their blood and they want other people to love it as much as they do and understand that they're trying to feed you know they're trying to feed people the most healthy uh, food that we can get and so that was kind of the motivation and so i took a lot from those experiences. And that really, really solidified a lot of the relationships we had was doing that work. Um, in fact, I've got a picture right behind me of standing in a in an artichoke ranch field in, in Casterville, California, um, and doing that very work. You know, we're standing there holding artichokes while we're standing in the field um, and making those connections and making that making and creating that message that we could bring back to our customers.
0: Well, and I was thinking too, as as y'all were talking about, you know, building building strong cultures and and buy-in across your organization. I imagine that too, being willing to take a few days and and go to an event or or get out and visit your suppliers or take some time kind of out of the norm of the day to day is probably a great opportunity, even though it's hard in a leadership position to get away. But to let those other folks that you're wanting to develop in your organization and grow those folks, to give them an opportunity to step in and, and put out the fires and do some of those things, that that can probably be another benefit, I'd imagine, of getting involved in a little bit broader perspective on things as well.
1: So you're speaking of you know, getting your, the rest of the team involved. yeah, Anthony, I'm, I know we've talked about this before. Uh, Again, I'm going to say it again. I was very fortunate to have the support of leadership when I was in retail. You know, we brought groups, uh, as many as 16 produce managers and merchandisers, out to the West Coast uh, to do a three- or four-day trip, walking in the orchards, going through the packing sheds, um, and actually getting to see the fruit that they were going to sell in their stores before it ever left the tree. It it created – uh, it created such a strong awareness and a passion in them you see them come back and how invested they are. Um, and they see that there's a road for them if they want to pursue it as a career and that was the whole and that was the whole motivation to get them out there to understand that it's more than what's in that four walls that they're working in every day that it's a big huge industry and the opportunities are, are vast. And if you want to be part of this, you can be. And here's an opportunity to understand that. And I was so thankful to be part of a, of a company that that valued that. Because, look, that's a big investment to take, you know, a dozen or more people out of their store for three or four days um, and, and get them out there to do those types of things. And not all companies are willing to do that, but it's something that companies should certainly consider uh, as one way, not the only way, certainly one way to expose their teams to things outside of their everyday world that they're in and understand how much more there is to know and how much more they can bring to the table.
2: You know, Joe, I was always envious of Joe when he did that. So it was the difference between a family-owned company and a publicly traded company. And being a union shop could never take produce managers out um, being in the union. But, Ashley, you had mentioned about getting people out. So if you think about divisional offices or whatnot, I I would argue today... That there are many tools that we didn't have back when Joe and I were in retail in this mm. world and the technology that we have that you can go visit uh, a growing operation or go go to an event and still be very much connected to the, the pulse of the business because of all the technology we have, you know, surfaces, iPads, you know, our, our smartphones and things like that. Boy, you know, I can remember the days at Fresh Summit, there used to be email stations and everybody would be standing at those (laughs) email stations, right? I mean, think about how far we have uh, progressed with technology and you're you're really not disconnected. So you can multiply task and you can do it and get your people beside you as the leader get your people out to participate and boy you want to talk about motivation and getting people energized because they're going to go visit a farm or they're going to an event and you want to talk about getting an roi back from your people they'll go through a brick wall for you if you do that Mm
1: -hmm. absolutely absolutely boy it'd it'd have been nice to have some of those technologies just a few years ago to your point yeah i've only you know think about myself it'll be eight years in june Uh, And to Anthony's point, wow, the the, the technologies that are available now uh, that we didn't have just eight years ago uh, makes the job much different. I'm certainly not going to say easier. It's just different, but keeps you connected in ways we couldn't be connected back then. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, and Joe, you mentioned at the top, you know, looking back on your tenure in retail and and some of those things that were just looking back, you, you wish you had made the time for you mentioned celebrating the wins, you know, Mm. recognizing those things in the moment, Uh, other things that you would advise folks in in a similar role to, to carve out the time for, um, you know, particularly when it comes to building that culture, um, and building those strong relationships within an organization.
1: Well, so you (laughs) make sure I understood your question. So, you know, with regards to how to, how to carve out that time, um, Is that what you were asking? I'm sorry if I misunderstood
0: you. Yep. No, perfect.
1: You know, Ashley, I think it's just a matter of, you know, just speaking from my own experience. um, Many times I was trying to achieve the goal of others and not necessarily the goal that I wanted to achieve. And let me let me clarify that a little bit. As the director of produce, when I was in retail, um, I had goals to achieve. But then there were other goals to achieve that many times. Just yeah, I'm just going to be quite frank that didn't align with how I believe we should go and how we should go to market or how we should go to how we should achieve uh, a said goal. So it always created a, uh, uh, a a little bit of an obstacle, a little bit of a friction at times, especially as I got later in my career as the investment got larger. And the exposure got greater. You know, a 1% miss in 1995 was much bigger, much smaller than a 1% miss in 2015. And so the pressure was greater. And so we, we everyone felt that. And as a family-owned business, Anthony said, there's pros and cons to being in that environment. Um, you can be nimble, but you can also be uh, a little bit um, uh, frantic as well. I could say it like that. And, you know, we used to say we were successful in spite of ourselves many times, uh, meaning that, you know, we, we did some head scratching things that we, we still got through it and we made it. But what I would say is when you operate that way, you, you, you create a little bit of confusion with, with the rank and file and they don't understand what is the goal? What are we trying to achieve? So if I can look back on where I was, especially in those later years is to be more disciplined. As an organization, to be more disciplined, to trust where you are and the path you're on, and let it develop. Many times, one or two weeks into something that wasn't working, oh, we're, we're moving over here now. Well, you haven't even given it time to actually develop yet. I mean, it's still in the egg; it hasn't even hatched yet. You know, but that was that was just our our mo, and it just created a lot of angst and a lot of confusion with people, and it was a lot of wasted energy. And so if I could go back and say one thing, it would be to be disciplined in that. And myself included, and certainly not just leadership, but myself included, because we were just trying to chase that, you know, chase the end goal we wanted to get to. And we we're trying to get there as fast as we could, however we could. And so that that's, you know, how how I would kind of phrase or how frame my response in that respect. Yeah, Joey, Ashley, I think that celebrating success is
2: Key to a good positive culture, um, and, and as I reflect on, like Joe, what you're saying about taking, being creative and taking chances, right? Mm-hmm. So regardless of what business you're in, so as I reflect back to my retail days, it was all about store level personnel. They'll they'll make you the star, um, mm-hmm. and it was really about getting their buy in and explaining to them, listening to them. And then explaining to them what the goal could be and potentially how long it could take. So I think when we think through the the successes that we have had over the years, who are your store level folks? Who are your operational level people that make you successful? And do they understand what the goal is and how to get there? And you're not going to succeed on every dog on one. But I think it's really important to understand on some of the ones that didn't work, why? And that's how you build confidence and trust. Like you know, if mm-hmm. you hit on seven or eight out of ten, they're going to believe in you. And so, like, it's also it's okay that not everyone works. You're going to make keep it to a minimum, but you got to you got to breed that creativity. You got you know, I'd come up with a, a plan on something. I'm walking a store, and I'd see the best dog on display that I never even thought was possible, and mm-hmm. it wasn't me. It was the people in the stores who took the mm. ball and then ran with it. And the same thing works in, in business and your teams, like empower them. We talked about empowerment. You'd be surprised what the heck comes back that really just multiplies 10x. We had that old saying, Joe. 10X. 10x, yeah. Right?
1: Yeah. No, and, and that's great, and I missed out on that, but that's exactly right. Give the team the tools. Uh, and if you give them the tools, um, they'll make – they'll make, Anthony, as you said, they'll make you shine. And, um, and they're, you know, that, that is the greatest compliment of all. Um, uh, and you don't, you know, it's not something, it's not an ego thing to me either. You know, it's, it's just something that it, you, it's the right thing to do is it's really the right thing to do. And I, I you know, you say all the time, um, you know, um, I have I had the best team that I could have ever, ever been blessed with. There's no doubt, you know, And Anthony probably say the same thing about his team. Any, I think any strong leader would say that they had the best team that, you know, they could have ever, um, dreamt of. Um, and, uh, you know, I still stand by that today because, you know, they had my back, I had their back and we were doing it for the right reasons for the, for the success of the business and for, um, you know, for our customers as well. So, um, Joe, yeah, I'll, say this, Joe uh, you know,
2: I'll say the same doggone thing for the IFPA team, sales team, business development team that mm. i work for. I mean, mm. I'll come up with an idea and boy, you know, they, they make me look good. They make us look good. So <laughs> that's right. It, it, it's transferable. And it, it is. Absolutely. It absolutely is. And it's, you know, people want to succeed. They absolutely want to succeed.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
0: Well, it's, it's funny you went that direction, Joe, because I was just speaking with um, a, a lady today in the industry who was going on and on about how thankful she is to work for the company she works for. And so they really have have the vision of if we invest in our people, that's just going to bring rewards back to us. and And they've mm-hmm. seen it again and again, and it's a big part of their culture. I'm wondering if there are a few examples that come to mind of things that you've seen on the retail side of people really investing in their folks and, and building that bench and, and building that culture. Um, again, hard to do right in the, uh, in the P&L driven world of, of retail, but it can be so powerful.
1: No, it is. And, you know, we, we, again, in my, my past, we, we had our, our successes in doing that. And certainly other companies uh, have as well. <clears throat> I think that, you know, here's the thing to your point. You have the P&L, you know your expenses, you know your cost of goods, you know your gross, you know your net, the numbers are the numbers. But we used to have a saying when I was in retail, the check you don't write. Meaning, if you apply that to talent development, you can choose not to invest to develop the, the, the young talent that's coming up in your company or the talent that's coming in. But what are you spending and not doing so? And the point of that is, you think you're saving by not spending, but you're spending more because of turnover, because of, you know, all sorts of other things that happen because of not having that talent developed. Um, And I think that, you know, especially think about where we are today, just three years ago, almost three years ago, the beginning of the pandemic and what's happened to the workforce since then and the challenge, not just in retail, but across all segments, but certainly in the service industry, how tough it's been to to attract and retain talent. Um, and, and even with giving big raises and so forth, it's still lots of turnover. So where does it, how does a company uh, stop that uh, or slow it down somewhat and then start to build those benches again, as you stated, and get that that young talent coming up? Because, look, people are, people, you know, we know through the pandemic, a lot of people... Aged out, or decided, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and retire now. Just be done with it. Somebody's got to fill that void, and in certainly some, case, some cases, some companies were had a, a secession plan and it worked fine. Others not. Um, but it, there's a learning there. So you know, it's not an easy answer. It's certainly not an easy answer, and it can be a costly uh, solution. But what's more costly? Spending the are investing the time and the in the resources to develop the talent or not, and then spend more trying to replace people over and over and over. That's, you know, I think that's a question that people, companies have to ask themselves.
2: Yeah, I would parlay with that. I think it's up to the consumer to determine who's best in class. We used to do Mm -hmm. internal surveys on how well we were performing, could be broken down by department. And so we would evaluate that. We would have scorecards on where we needed to improve. So we would leverage that information if we needed to invest more in in training or whatnot. And so I think every company's different. I think they all have their internal processes and tools. But at the end of the day, it's the it's the consumer scorecard that probably counts the most. Mm, that's a great point, Anthony. That's a great point. We used to call the Hayes Nedved survey and I used to Mm -hmm. when it came out, but when they were good, I was very proud.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I hear you, sir. (laughs) Excellent.
0: Gentlemen, thank you so much for taking the time today. I want to get you out out here in a in a semi timely manner, but sure appreciate the uh, the time and the perspective you all have shared. And um, I'll I'll leave it to you all. Any uh, any last thoughts on this on this topic of of building a great culture and the the role of of relationships there?
1: Ashley, if you'll um, allow me, I want to share this really quick story. Um, and it was a few months after I began with PMA. Anthony may recall this. As I stated, I reported to Anthony first couple of years, or I was with PMA. And um, as I stated earlier, his office was the front of the building. Mine was at the back. And one day uh he come into my office. You know, Anthony is a proud, passionate Italian gentleman. And he can get quite vocal and animated. And I appreciate closed. that. With the door closed. With the door closed. That's right. He comes in my office this one said afternoon, and he come to me with a with an opportunity. He closed the door and he, he didn't sit down. His arms were flailing. He was making his point. I was sitting back in my chair with my arms kind of folded, I think, if I recall right listening. And I'm, yes, sir. Yes, sir. We're going to take care of it. We're going to fix it. It's We're going to, we're, we'll, we'll take care of it. We finished the conversation. He walked back to his office about an hour later. I thought about it. I thought about it. And I said, you know what? I just left 35 years of retail. Um, I don't want to start my relationship off on this foot. I walked up to his office. I asked him if he had a moment. He said, absolutely. I walked in, I closed the door. And I told him, I said, You know, when you came in early and you were upset and we were talking, um, I just want you to know that didn't motivate me. I said, I'm going to fix the problem, but you don't have to do that to get me to fix the problem. And he said, you know what? You're right. I'll never do that again. And he's never done that again. And so I thank him for listening to me and, and trusting me that he came to me with a problem. And I came back to him and said that, you know, we can fix this but we don't have to take that approach. That's that's a retail approach. That is a retail approach. And I, I don't know if he could have done that with anybody else in the office because they didn't have that background. Um, but he did. I think it was a great learning moment for him and for myself. And it was early in our time together. And I'm thankful that we were able to do that and get past that quickly. And it's helped nothing but help our relationship grow. And we hope, that's helped benefit the organization as well. Like Mr. Rouse. (laughs) Absolutely. 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 So that's my closing comments, (laughs) Ashley.
2: My closing comment is I want to thank you for engaging us and and allowing us a little uh, levity here as well uh, to tell, tell the story and I would be remiss if I didn't thank anyone who's, watching this in the industry for all their support of our terrific uh, international fresh produce association mm-hmm. we're here for each and every one of you and uh, we thank you very much absolutely
0: awesome Actually, thank you so much oh of course it's it's always my pleasure you both have have been such wonderful resources for me personally over the years and continuing to to learn about uh, the the vast world of produce retail and the quickly changing world of produce retail mm. and uh, always enjoy getting to talk with you both and uh i'm excited to certainly continue to do so in the coming years
1: we do too as well ashley thank you so much hey it's a, you. great hey thank you and hey ashley i uh, wish you all the best when you're impending uh new ones
0: oh Little thank ones. you so much <laughs> yep we're uh our our household is going from two to four here before too long we uh we, we have twins who will be here sometime around Christmas. So coming right up.
1: How exciting. How exciting. <laughs> I'm sure we'll learn more when, we, when it's time for us to learn.
0: <laughs> That's right. <laughs> awesome. Thank we'll you think, again for
1: everything, Ashley.
0: Oh, thank you. Thank you guys again. Thank you to all our listeners. And we will see everybody back next week on the Produce Retail Podcast.